This morning, I would like to preach on Jesus is risen and what that means for you and me. And this is part two. We did part one last week. And our goal is two things. It's to understand and to be filled with joy. So to understand the truth, but then to have a joy which comes out of that, out of the range of blessings that come to us through the resurrection of Jesus. And I've got an image for this. The idea is roots and fruits. The roots are understanding and the fruits are the joy and strength that come for our lives. And we're going to do three roots and three fruits today. But actually, we did two of the roots last week. So I'm just going to very quickly summarize them and then one new root. And then three fruits, which are the main focus. And if you want more on the roots, then you can go in last week and look online and see what I concentrated on. But um, um, so my outline then is... The, the first one is the root, the truth that surpasses all others in importance. The fruit, one, I am life. The next fruit, reasons and motivation for everything. And the last one is union, you're joined to me. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. So just to very briefly summarize then the roots from last time, I talked about um, the, the scholar Gary Habermas and what he calls the minimal facts argument, which is rather than looking at all of the evidence of masses of stuff about the resurrection, why don't we concentrate on stuff that we can prove without any doubt? And he chose five facts that he could choose, uh, he could prove without any doubt the fact that Jesus died by crucifixion. The fact that after his death, the disciples had experiences that they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. These are things that historians who aren't Christians will all agree on. Um, the third one is that there was an eminent scholar called Saul of Tarsus, and he had a dramatic experience that he believed to be an experience appearance of the risen Jesus. Early proclamations of the resurrection, in other words, it wasn't something invented in the Middle Ages, but you can date the preaching right back to the early days. And the last one is the resurrection was the central proclamation of the early church. Now, the first and the last are what I looked at last week. And I'm just going to briefly summarize them now and tell you why they're important. I'm not going to deal with uh, two and three, um, but I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the the root of the, the timing, the dating of when it all happened. So just as to summarize then, the death of Jesus, the first of these roots, there is virtually unanimous agreement amongst anti-Christian scholars. Um, and the three best known, Bart Ehrman wrote a book, Did Jesus Exist? Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth. So this is an enemy of Christianity. And he says, claim skeptics. He says, skeptics who are not trained might doubt that Jesus died on the cross. It is as well established as any fact in the ancient world. So he's a, a, a non-Christian scholar and he is saying that. So another of the best, um, oh, he lists 11 independent sources. Um, John Dominic Crossman also an enemy of, of what we believe. 
He claims the death of Jesus is as well established as any fact. And then Marcus Bord, the third of these famous people, claims the fact that Jesus died as a political rebel is well established. And so that's what I'm going to say now, just to summarize, that is such a strong root. Absolutely, Jesus died. Like there is just, when you actually dig into the evidence that he was crucified by the Romans and died, he didn't swoon or something like that. There's just so much evidence for that. Um, so the um, the second thing I want to just very briefly summarize, the second root, is that a core part of every message in early Christianity was the resurrection. In the book of Acts, every sermon we have talks about it. You move through to Romans and the epistles and you get verses like, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel. So why is that important? Because if these disciples who are preaching this knew that it was a fake, would they have all given, virtually all of them given their lives for something which was a fake? Uh, if it was so well known that this was what they were, they were preaching in Jerusalem and people knew that it was, it was false. If people knew that it was, um, it was fake, then it wouldn't have, um, it wouldn't have lasted very long in Jerusalem. So, uh, that would be, thank you. That would be the, the, uh, the second of my roots here. The last of the roots that I want to talk about is some evidence from dating. And people say, you know, well, you know, okay, well, maybe there's some evidence that Jesus lived. Let me tell you some comparisons here. Let's look at other people in history and say, well, how well are they attested? Alexander the Great, you know, one of the greatest rulers of all time, um, None of the major works on Alexander were written less than 300 years after his death. Less than 300 years. Um, the two main biographies were written 400 to 450 years after his death. And those are the names of the biographies. Um, yet nobody doubts Alexander the Great existed. So how does that compare with Christianity? The death of Jesus, we'll call that ground zero, either 30 or 33, depending on one one interpretation, but it's absolutely, everybody agrees that's when it was. Paul writes 1 Corinthians, we can lock it in, and I'll explain in a minute why, to 54 to 55 AD. So what you have there, 24 years, and the scholars are all agreed on that time difference there. So that's what Christians have. Let's take another historical example, just to kind of give us a root in this area. There's a major new book promoting Buddhism. And this I'm just going to quote from this book. Unlike Christians, we Buddhists don't have the words of their Lord or the words of those who heard from their Lord or the words of those who heard from those who heard from their Lord. That is what the this Buddhist writer admits. Um, so, uh, so what about somebody who's a contemporary with Jesus, who lived at the same time of Jesus? Emperor Tiberius was one of the emperors who lived at the same time as Jesus. And, uh, what about him? Um, 
or sorry, I should say, the first extended sources of Buddhism come 300 to 500 years after the death of Buddha. In fact, there are some Buddhist scholars who actually suggested that Buddha never actually existed, that he was like a, a name given to a collection of these ideas. So um, that's just showing you just a world of difference between the two. Emperor Tiberius. This is a Roman emperor at the same time of Jesus. The first sources come more than 80 years after his death from Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, and from Suetonius. And the best sources are 180 years after his death. Just a total, totally different thing to what we experience as Christians. So what about, how do we know that we have such an early date for the first writings of Jesus? Well, um, let's, uh, let's just think about 1 Corinthians. We know that um, from Acts 18, when Paul arrived at Corinth, we know who was the governor of Corinth. It's, it, it, it links it in, it's, it describes it in the events that happened. Uh, his name is given. And what's really cool is the Roman governors only ruled for one year. And we found an inscription in Corinth naming which year he, he ruled. So we know exactly when that guy was, was ruling. And it was 54, 55 AD he was ruling. Of course, they didn't call it AD in those days because they weren't Christian. But that's, we know, we know the date. It's locked in. So that was the date when Paul, um, first visited Corinth. Uh, sorry, it was, um, 51, 52 AD. This happened. And then a few years later than that, shortly after that, Paul writes in 54-55 AD, he writes this to the Corinthians. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you that you received and on which you stand. So referring back to that period earlier, and by which you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So this is written 23 years after Jesus' resurrection and it's speaking about something that happened which we can precisely date to 20 years when Paul taught what he's talking about here. And that he believed, he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, you can, you can actually explore the evidence yourself if you want to. Um, so then he appeared to James, then, then to all the apostles. So the reason I'm giving these things to you, and this is the last of the roots, the reason I'm giving this to you, because if we are absolutely rock solid on the fact that Jesus raised, that he was raised from the dead, this is going to be so empowering for our joy that I'm going to be deal with, dealing with right now. So I'm going to talk now about the first of the fruits now. We've dealt with the roots. We're going to go to the fruits. So um, we've looked at this truth. We're going to now look at the fruit. I am life come to me. Now, 
Out of all the things that I heard from Gabby, uh, Gary Habermas when I was listening to his, uh, his lectures, the one that spoke to me most deeply was not actually about proving the resurrection. It wasn't one of the roots. It was something that spoke to me so deeply, and I want to tell you what that was right now, because I pray that it will speak to you as well. And it was something... Um, that's different between Jesus and every other spiritual teacher that's ever lived. And this was it. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus didn't say, oh, my teachings are the way. He did say that, but he said something that no one else said. No, no other spiritual leader in history have said, I am the way to life. I myself am the way. I actually, in my own person, am the way in my own body and soul are the way for you. What did Jesus say? He didn't just say my words are the way to life. He said, I am the life. Come to me and through me you will have fullness of hope, joy and life. I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no other. So why do I find this so moving? Because if it was just about his teachings, if Jesus said, follow me and you will have life, then I might say, well, this is about my performance. Can I follow him well enough? Can I, can I do well enough to, to, to achieve it? But when he says, come to me, I am going to care for you for eternity. Wow, that is something far more powerful. It's not about what I've done. It's not about how well I follow his teachings. It's simply, do I come to him, the risen Lord? Um, if you don't believe me, here are some of the things he said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me that you may have life, John five forty. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that lovely? That just just really settles on me as I say that. It gives me confidence and hope. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. These are such beautiful words. This is the first of my three fruits. And I want to ask you, I want to challenge you. Have you come to him? If not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not someone who's come to him, then you do this simply by praying to him and asking for this rest, asking for this living water. And if you have come to him, this is the most gently comforting truth that you can ever know. Just rest in this truth for a few moments. Let's just take a few moments just to just to 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 let these words sink in, Jesus says, come, I'm your life. I've destroyed the enemy. You'll be with me. You have nothing to fear. Just for a moment, just allow that to settle in. So we've looked at fruit, I'm life, come to me. And now we're going to look at reasons and motivations for everything. And then we're going to end with the union with Christ. So, 
This is a, a really interesting thing that until I saw these verses, I didn't really see how powerful this was. But let me ask you a question. Why do you believe the Bible is God's word? Well, one answer is, well, it's trustworthy. You measure it up. Everything it says can be matched historically. I believe it. It's spoken to my heart. Lots of reasons you can give. But one reason is um, Jesus said it was God's word and he rose from the dead. Do you get that? Jesus said it was God's word and he rose from the dead. That he was, so, he, if he rose from the dead, his words must have been true. Why should I love my enemies? Because Jesus said it and he rose from the dead. He triumphed over the grave. Why should I live for the kingdom? Because Jesus told me to and Jesus rose from the dead. Why should I not worry about physical possessions? Because Jesus told me not to. And Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead authenticated everything he said. It didn't just authenticate it. It raised it to another level. It raised it to a level far beyond this earth, far beyond our time and space. And it raised it to this eternal level. If you think about it, um, there's no reason to try and live a good life, an ethical life, if death is at the end. Um, so Paul says, um, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Hey, let's party, because like nothing matters, does it? And you think about it, that's logical. Like if there's no resurrection, what does it matter? Because I'm gone anyway. And um, and so you can look at it the other way around, and Paul does. We will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, la- your labor is not in vain. Do you see that? So here's the motive for laboring, because it's not in vain, because he is going to he'll reward you in the life to come, that this is something of eternal value. And he goes on. Now concerning the collection, and this is for this is the next chapter, for the poor in Jerusalem, this is a practical implication. When I arrive, I will send those whom you approve to carry your gift with a letter to Jerusalem. So his first example is how we can labor is by supporting those who are in need, flowing out of the resurrection. So caring for the poor here in this verse is an implication of the resurrection is one of the things, one of the fruits that will last for eternity. And so we should be doing it. And so um, that's that's ethics. And so I would say then, so this is, um, this then is the second of the fruits I've given you. First was, I'm life, come to me. I am the one, I'm the life. The second is the reasons and motivation for everything that we do is because of the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, what bother? You know, you can just live for yourself because it doesn't matter. But the resurrection is what gives us a motivation that everything counts for eternity. And the third one, and I've, I've saved the best to last, the third one 
is a union. Jesus says, you are joined to me. The Bible teacher who's probably had the most impact on me in my life is a man called Amar Jabala. He was an Algerian Muslim who, um, in a village in Algeria, heard Christian radio, was saved, traveled to France, went to Paris, did a PhD in theology in Paris. And when I first came to Canada in 1985, he was, he was teaching at a Bible school here, a professor, and uh, his insights and understanding of scripture were profoundly life-changing for me and uh, just, uh, uh, just a wonderful experience and many other people as well. And he said to me, Andrew, there's a book you need to read. I can't recommend this book enough. He said, this book I want you to read is called The Centrality of the Resurrection by Richard Gaffin. And um, uh, I, I got the book and I read it and it was life-changing for me. And just to summarize it, all that we have now and will enjoy as Christians comes through our unity with the risen Lord Jesus. That being, uh, uh, when we become a Christian, we die with him. We go into the grave, if you like, spiritually with him. When, when he was raised from the dead, in some way that we don't understand, some mystical way, all of us who are Christians were in him, were connected with him in that resurrection. And something happened to us in that. Paul says that you are now reigning with Christ. You were raised with him. You're now reigning with him in the heavenly places. Well, you may not be conscious of reigning with him, except maybe when you're praying. But spiritually, you've already gone through some of your resurrection. Spiritually, if you're a Christian, you are already partially in the heavenlies and your body has to catch up. But the key thing about this is that when Jesus, uh, when we become Christians, it's like a, a rope is joined to us, in, joins us to Jesus inseparably. There's a rope around Jesus and there's a rope around us. When I, when I te- do a teaching on this and I sometimes teach a whole sermon on this, I have a picture of people climbing a mountain and there's a rope around one of them and there's a rope around another because so if one of them falls, hopefully the other one can catch them because, you know, they're locked together. And, um, Jesus is locked to us by this, this rope. And so when he dies, we die, but when he's raised, we inevitably will go where he went. He's defeated death, which means we will inevitably be with him because we are joined to him inseparably. But it's more than joining. It's a kind of a new identity because you can say now, um, and this is just the most wonderful thing to me, but you can say, um, I am joined to Christ. I am connected with him. Nothing can separate me from him. There is nothing in heaven or earth that can cut that wire that joins me to Jesus. That's who I am. That is who I am. Could anything be better news than that? And when you couple that with the fact that Jesus defeated death, raised with a new body, and we're joined to him, what news could be better than that? So, you know, the, the, the day of judgment is like a storm. 
But the, we will survive the storm because we're joined to Jesus. We will survive death. We will survive this world coming to an end because we are joined to Jesus. And um, I want to say that this is a new hope for us. To coin a phrase, a new hope. And some of you, some of you get that reference. And a new identity. And the hope I want to say is um, here in 1 John 14, 19, Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 and 4, 14, Paul says, God raised Jesus from the dead and will therefore raise believers also. Philippians 3.21, Paul says God will change our lowly bodies to be like Jesus' glorious body. 1 John 3.2, John says we will see Jesus as he is and we will be like him. When we see him coming in the clouds, we'll say, oh, wow, I've got a new body. I look just like him now. Wow. So I want this morning, I really, really want you If there's nothing else, I want you to identify with who you are in Jesus through the resurrection. I want you to get some of this hope and some of this identity. And I spent time on the roots because I want that to be so strong and so sure and no doubt about it. Because when that is so sure, you can then enjoy and you can walk out into this world and say, this world can do nothing to me that can possibly harm me. I'm joined to Jesus and he's in glory and I'm joined to him. And ultimately, nothing else matters. And we can say, and I'm going to close with this verse here, we can say in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. So I'm going to pray now, and I want you to join me in prayer. And my prayer is going to be that each one of us is absolutely sure about the the truth of the resurrection, the roots. And each one of us, out of that will flow a joy and a strength. A joy that that we are joined to him and we have nothing to fear. And a strength and courage to just go out and live a life that, That is our identity as new in Christ. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful truth that is more glorious than anything else, that that Jesus has died, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that that you would just cement the strength of that that truth deeply in us, that we will never have any shaking of that doubt but it will be strong, immovable in that truth. And Lord, we pray for your joy to well up in us, that your joy of the hope that we have of being with you will be so so bright and shining in our life that it will motivate our actions. It will take away our fears and it will fill us with confidence of who we are as those who are joined to Jesus, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, may we live out this next year in this joy.
in Jesus' name. Amen.